It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen got no peace. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the of the gangs and the government for hire in the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. The border trap is some the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, punching in the corner, too, but it'll lose the devil, save the devil, world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me the surrender in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it in British life. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Hello and welcome to... The Survival Medicine Hour. Uh-oh, I forgot to say, this is the Hour of Doom. It was a little bit of doom. Oh, our, no. Our air conditioning is broken. I know. That is that pretty doomful. Not a pleasant homecoming. I know. Well, you are definitely not <gasps> blooming. You're wilting it's in the heat. It's so hot in here. Oh, my gosh. And it is terrible. It, it really is. Well, if you don't know, guys, we didn't have a show last week because we were fleeing, of course, Hurricane Irma, and ended up in our home in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, where we've been uh, traveling anyhow, speaking at various expos and other places. We've been in uh, Knoxville and Chattanooga and Lexington, Kentucky, all sorts of fun places. Most of the fleeing was just not coming home. (laughs) Yep. So... Staying away. Right. So we had uh, some family members stay at the house, and luckily... The house is in generally decent shape, not not the best if you, if you like plants. That is. Oh my goodness! I know lots of lots of trees down, but uh, not none of our trees. Amazingly, it's hard to complain though. I mean, if you think about Houston, what they've been through, what they're going through right now, and the Keys, oh, Naples. Yeah. I mean, anybody with any kind of water or wind damage to their actual structure. I mean. Yes, we're sweating to death right now, but we still have a roof over our head, and the yes. electricity is on, so we can turn on fans, and hopefully they're going to come soon tomorrow, I hope, right. <laughs> to try to fix the air conditioner. Hopefully they don't have to order a part, but people have it much, much worse, so I feel right. bad complaining. So we're just giving you guys a status report. We're not yes, we're not complaining. No, I'm very grateful, and I'm very thankful for what I have. Well, I have a place to lay my head tonight that isn't in a a big auditorium or some other kind of structure with a absolutely bunch of other people. Right. So, and you are who are who is it, this beautiful person that's talking? <laughs> I don't think we introduced ourselves. I don't think we did. I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife, and I'm a little um, punch drunk because we woke up yesterday. At ooh, seven, six thirty, mm-hmm. seven o'clock. Okay, yep. Got on the road, drove for 
13 and a half hours right. from Gatlinburg, Threw Tennessee. A of, saw a lot of mess. Well, we a lot of trees down. Yeah, we did because we got closer. We went down the whole state of Georgia, mm-hmm. and we were kind of close to South Carolina at, at one point. So we saw lots and lots of tree damage. Oh my goodness! Straight down to Jacksonville. That's where all the traffic hit, and we saw a bunch of Oklahoma. Energy trucks. Yes. And a big, giant caravan. Right. And there were people, uh, folks from Pennsylvania in tr- in uh, electric trucks. Yep. So yep. people are coming from all over to, to help the Floridians get their electricity back on. And I sure hope some of those are heading to the Keys because Boy, that they is need a mess all there. kinds of help there. Yes. They really do. Uh, I think the Hurricane Irma was a cause of more, more than 60 deaths of of which uh, a good number i think probably 30 of them are in the florida and the rest of the southeast georgia and south carolina right and it has been pretty bad i am joe alton by the way md also known as dr bones of doomandbloom.net where you'll find a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster well, while we were in Gatlinburg, mm-hmm. Tennessee, we went to a place I thought was very interesting called the Smoky Mountain Knife Works. Oh, and yes. We've only passed it about, what? A million times. We really <laughs> hadn't gone in there. <laughs> Truly, a and million And of course, times. right. And uh, of course, we like, you know, well-crafted knives, but we're not, that's not our main focus. There is actually a blade show in Atlanta every year, and that's for people who are just knife nuts and... Uh, they have an incredible selection at the Smoky Mountain Knife Works. They say the biggest in the country. But they also have a number of other interesting play, uh, um, little stores there that have things like what, geodes. Right. I think what they do is they rent out space. So there are individual store owners that have their space within this big knife complex. Yes. So you go in expecting just to see guns and knives and you know weapons of different sort. And downstairs they have a market. Yes. Remember, they do. like a right. little country market? Yes, they do. Very cute. They have um, antique section. Yeah. But it's just thrilling uh, to those who love time. history. Right. And they have everything like from. Like you. They, right. They have everything from dinosaur bones to Civil War relics. And <laughs> Incredible. I, it is pretty amazing. Uh, we got a couple of books. Uh, Wanderings in the Bible Lands from 1894, and then Biblical Antiquities from 1849. These are things that I think are, are really interesting. And, of course, you have to learn to read in the style that they wrote yes. back then, which was entirely different than what you would see it is you very know, on our webca- website. It is. Uh, it's like the old Bibles that we read, and the Fs. Yes. Look like S's. S's, right. And that so is. They have to get used to seeing that and realizing, you know, your brain has to translate it. Now, if you're young, you probably don't realize that there was a magazine that was very famous, like People uh, Magazine is mm-hmm. today. It was called Life Magazine back there. Uh, ba- a pretty back then. large magazine. What a, do you think this is about? It's like uh, 12 by, by 16. 16. Yeah, about 12 by 16. And they had, uh, I, we bought about eight of them from the year 1940. It was hard not to buy every single one that they had. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Really neat. This uh, particular issue that I'm holding in my hand now tells you all about... But wait, uh, what's the date on it's it? It's October 9th. So it's of all, 1940. Right. 1940. And so it tells you 
as the main story exactly how uh, the Nazis recently took over recently. Poland. Right, recently. How <laughs> well, they took over Poland uh, late last month. What's today? The 50th September 15th, yeah. 2017. Is when this show is on. Oh, Just okay. for those so, in the future right. who don't know what today is. Right, and it was <laughs> around this time in 1939 that Poland, uh, that uh, that Poland, that uh, the Nazis took over Germany. And this particular issue was October 9th, 1939. And so they're here. I see they're announcing the new Ford cars for 1940. And if you've ever been to an antique auto show, I mean that's what the new car looks like uh if you're a man if you wanted well-groomed hair you have to put what looks like vegetable oil on it something called vitalis i think that still exists but in the old days it was essentially oil that you put on your hair and you had nice shiny hair uh interesting thing is you get to see what people wore as underwear back then and that's easy. <laughs> that, that's interesting. I won't go into that de- in too much detail. Well, just uh, one that. question. Are they bikini or brief looking? Uh, they're um, boxer brief looking. But um, real loose, I think. Here's actually a beer commercial that says, Thanks a million. One million jobs have been made by beer since re-legalization. Re-legalization. Which means that they're saying in, the, in just a very few years since Prohibition ended... Beer has paid a lot of taxes and is Produced really jobs. awesome. A good for, job maker. Exactly. Here you, you and see. And that's why you should drink beer. And that's why you should drink beer. <laughs> Keeps see, people in, uh, having a paycheck. <laughs> there are a number of uh, companies that still exist. Goodyear, for example, still uh, was making tires back down. Is still making making tires. Lockheed Aircraft. Aircraft. They were beginning to make uh, warplanes, as a matter of fact. Um, GE had a radio that you could buy that was as big as your, wow, uh, (laughs) probably as big as your (laughs) 10-year-old. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, And, of course, the news stories, a lot of them are about, oh, here we go, 8 o'clock coffee. Now, interestingly enough, I bought a pound of 8 o'clock coffee just last week, and it looks exactly like Unchanged. this container that I'm seeing here from October 1939. And also... Wait, I think 40 or 39? 39. It is 39. I, I, oh, I, my mistake. I corrected myself. And here's something in science. In the future, technicians will design model rockets for transatlantic flights. Well, isn't that timely with and North Korea did. doing exactly that and, and flying over Japan pretty Amazing. Well, yeah, but I think stuff. they were talking about carrying people. The well, transatlantic flight, right? Well, the, the isn't this about? Well, people? these look like model rockets, honestly, like the kind you you might uh, use for a science project. That's right true. Now. The picture does exactly right. So, anyhow, pretty interesting stuff. If you like to see old stuff, and it is uh, amazing to see a lot of commercials in the in the magazines for cigarettes and for whiskey and for all sorts of other stuff (laughs) right you know we have not mentioned that we want you to call our lawyer in case you have been injured by a truculent turtle yes our attorney says however don't call me call dr rosen (laughs) or sammy and listen to this 
All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. By the way, we actually saw a turtle that was run over right in front of our house, apparently, how overnight. Is it, how is that even possible? We're up on a mountain. We're on a cliff, essentially, and I don't know how turtle <laughs> that turtle got there. I don't know how. He would have had to take the roads. It's pretty, Think about this. I, it's pretty amazing to me. I <laughs> feel a, bad for the turtle. You know, oh, rest in terrible. peace. Rest in peace, but I, I, it's interesting to know that they have turtles actually on mountains. Strange. I bet you we didn't did know that. We did see um, bunny rabbit. And we saw bunny rabbits, too. And, and we had not seen any bunnies. We've had the house for years, eight, 18 years, years yep. now. And we only say, uh, we don't really spend a lot of time out there in the early morning, right around sunrise, outside. Uh-huh. So maybe that might have been it. Maybe that's maybe the only time they want to come the out. the whole yeah. time. Could be. Hiding. A mystery. We did see a lot of bears, but not this time. No, not this time around. Hey, when help's not on the way, when there are 10 casualties but only 9 ambulances, you might end up as the highest asset left to your family. And if that's the case, what are you going to do? Well, you know what? You're going to show the world you got more sense than a case of crickets. That's what, by learning what to do for injuries and illnesses in times of trouble. And while you're at it, get some supplies and a medical kit to go with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle pretty much everything you'll face in tough times from a medical standpoint. They're designed by yours truly here, an MD, and hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, or just ask anyone who's ever bought one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you're going to have in your medical storage. By the way, we learn as much from you as you do from us, so what is new you? Share with the class. It's easy, and here's the lovely nurse Amy to tell you how. Yes, you can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Twitter at Prepper Show. We have a YouTube channel, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, and that's Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a page, Doom and Bloom, and also a wonderful group that you can participate in called Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Well, we've done with the storms, at least, for the time being. As long as Jose... Yeah, as long as Jose doesn't come, and I oh, think that's Jose. One, that might come in <laughs> sort of sideswipe New England, possibly, but uh, I don't think it's going to be an issue. But you know what? We are lucky to have them over with, and one of the thing that things that was, I guess, common to all of these uh, hits by the hurricanes were fl- was flooding. Yep, water damage. That's right. Absolutely. And, uh, I want to just say that while we're here and while we're cleaning up from the storms. I want people to make sure to have some work gloves available. There's going to be a lot of issues with a lot of debris. You could accidentally hurt yourself. Or Get poke some, yourself. Or poke yourself, sure, with one thing or another. Uh, plastic garbage bags, uh, duct tape, that's going to be important. Insect repellent, boy, it is still hot out. Hot, hot, hot Oh, the out. mosquitoes are going crazy. All right. I sure hope the dragonflies get born very quickly. <laughs> uh, me too. And they need to get breeding. <laughs> you should even have a set of tweezers, I think, to deal with the splinters that inevitably 
are part and parcel of moving a lot of debris. And if you have a chainsaw, please use it carefully. It probably is a really good thing to have, but you want to use it carefully, especially down here with all that lush, lush vegetation. We certainly have a lot of trees down We have down some here. things you need to cut up, honey. That's right. Absolutely. I know I do. Big branches. That's right. Well, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm trying to build up my strength to get, get <laughs> well, rid of those. Luckily, well, we left not, our... the tree itself didn't fall down. No, just big branches, big chunks of trees, and bigger than I really thought. Uh, but we're a little tired today because we left St. Augustine at 4 a.m.? Yeah, about 4 a.m. To maybe. get the rest of the way home to South Florida. That's right, because we wanted Phew. to do our podcast for you folks out there. <laughs> Aren't we just awesome? Well, anyhow, all this recent flooding has killed people, lots of people, and floods can occur even in, interestingly enough, not only in bad weather, but even in areas that appear crystal clear outside, but have rain that's coming from far away, you know, let's say in the mountains, and it, and it flows into the valley. That's called a flash flood. And floods are just so common that they represent actually 75% of presidential disaster proclamations. They're often seen in conjunction with other disasters like hurricanes and other storms. But the truth of the matter is, is that you are always going to be at risk for mudslides if you're on any kind of slope as a result of heavy rains. It doesn't have to be an actual hurricane or massive storm it's for true. that to happen sometimes. The after the fire in Gatlinburg, I'm sure a lot of trees are weakened, and we're just seeing a lot of them just fall simply because of a of a good gust of wind. And uh, wait till we the saw, snow hits them right. this year after they've had more time to rot. Right, and there was a mudslide too that we saw as well on the uh, uh, highway between uh, right. Tennessee and North Carolina right in, in the, the park. park right? right, that and, was a Big mudslide. I don't know what the heck happened there. Yeah, so tons of forest followed by Oof. just a, a gash in which there is nothing. Took the road out, and it just it created a valley, really, of nothingness. So it, scary stuff. That's right. So flash floods, of course, they develop shortly after a nearby heavy rain. And I say nearby, but it doesn't have to be that nearby. It doesn't have to be raining at your location. But it could be happening miles away. These floods create a rapid rise of water, especially in low-lying areas like floodplains, where a lot of people live because it is a popular place for communities to develop. Uh, uh, you can have ice jams. You can ha it can happen pretty much almost any time of the year, a levee failure, a dam failure. Um, in Harvey, the levees failed, uh, overlying Texas and in some areas of Louisiana. So that's that's a big problem. Of course, the rivers can flood also. Uh, the St. John's River uh, overflowed in Jacksonville. It caused, uh, uh, that was caused by heavy rainfall. Um, this is... There were like 34 rivers, apparently, that were above flood, flood level, I think, just in Tampa alone. Exactly, yeah. 34. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's, and it just goes I, to show... And I don't think that was including anything that was happening around the Jacksonville area. And then you had Savannah. I mean, it just hit all over the place. It was crazy. And Harvey had much more rain than Irma. So pretty much oh, every yeah. river in probably in Poor Houston, the no. southern south of Texas. Th those people have flood damage beyond belief. But uh, it, was just, it was just weird that this storm hit, you know, quote, hit 
the west side of Florida, but did so much water damage to the other side. Oh, yeah. And electrical lines and trees, it just was widespread. This one was much more widespread. Poor Harvey just, not poor Harvey, yeah. poor Houston was saturated because well, yeah, Harvey well, just sat there. Like a just, unwanted house guest, I'll tell you that much. He would not leave. Well, uh, the issues in Florida were storm surges. And funny that the hurricane itself hit the West Coast, but the storm surges were apparently worse on the east coast of Florida, and uh, that actually causes the most damage, uh, this kind of storm surge. Uh, oh, by the way, a storm surge is a rush, rise of water uh, that's generated by the storm above normal tide levels. Now, when the storm approaches a coast, those high winds cause large, large waves that flood structures, they damage foundations, they cause a significant loss of life. So that's basically why we were having so much trouble here on the East Coast, even though it hit the West Coast of Florida. And, of course, it hit the Florida Keys. That was a big issue as well. 25% of buildings destroyed in the Florida Keys destroyed. And 75 the rest actually damaged in one way or another. So it's, it's 100%. That's what I don't think people, when they're doing this 25 75%, that it actually did something to 100% of buildings. It is uh, amazing. It was just a, a monster. Unbelievable. But, you know, floods can occur also from burn scars. If they, uh, There's a lot of wildfires in Montana, a lot, a lot of areas in the west. And after a fire, the bare ground is oftentimes so hardened from being charred that water can't be absorbed well into the ground. And they call that a burn scar. And burn scars are less able to absorb moisture if there's a heavy rain it will accumulate water rather than have the water go down into the ground. Now, in in winter, there are ice jams. Northern areas of the continental U.S., Alaska, could have uh, flooding as a result of that. Moving ice and debris on water can be actually blocked. They can cause a jam, essentially, just like a log jam in the old lumberjack days. And that holds water back. And when that happens, that causes flooding upstream. And when you finally breach that obstruction, when you finally get rid of that obstruction, there, there's a massive amount of water that flows downstream, causing a flash flood downstream. So this is something you'll see oftentimes that bends in a river in some of these older rivers. Snow melt also, of course, in the mountainous northern U.S. states. There's so much snow that there is just tons and tons of water that will come down. It'll act as if it were rain and cause flooding as if it were, were a heavy rain. And, of course, when the dam or a levee breaks um, due to erosion or landslides, earthquakes, excessive rainfall, so many other natural causes, uh, these dams uh, may indeed overflow the barrier or, or seep through a crack in the barrier and cause a major flood. So the truth of the matter is, is that you have to be safe from flooding if, if you're in a a hurricane, even a tornado, a, even in desert states from uh, rainfall elsewhere. It's it's just so important to know just a few things that will help you get through a flood. And the, the first thing, of course, is to hit the road early. Make the decision to leave for higher ground before flooding occurs and, ra- and roads are blocked. I completely concur. You have got to have a plan before you decide you're going to need a plan. 
So pre-plan this. Don't wait until the storm is on its way to say, okay, now what are we going to do? Exactly. And you have to have... There's a, too much to plan. That's very true. Having a NOAA weather radio will keep you up to date on the latest advisories. It'll give you a good idea when you should hit the road. And when you do, make a good decision, what I call a G-O-O-D decision, and that is to get out of Dodge. Now, if you're walking through water, make sure that you are very, very careful because moving water can cause you to drown. Drowning is the most common cause of death during a flood, especially a flash flood, and it can knock you off your feet. Even if it's less than a foot deep, it is a very uh, actually mystifying thing to me that such a little water can do it, but with enough force, it could knock you off the feet. You're on wet ground and you're, it's slippery, so you could easily land uh, on your back and wind up getting uh, inundated. Even calm floodwaters, by the way, are pretty murky, and many times they'll hide debris that cause injuries if you walk through them. That's why you have to be so careful if you are in any flood situation. They can also hide animals. Oh, yeah. We're talking snakes, gators. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They, <laughs> Who knows they, what else is in there? schools of fish in various... Well, west... hopefully the fish can get you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah... I mean, these animals might be away from where they're used to hiding out and hunting, and they're not sure what you are or how tasty you might be. Exactly, exactly right. Now, by the way, they can also be intruders, not just outside when you're walking through the uh, waters, but they can go into your home. That's and, true. Yeah, If you're in a bad enough storm, well, critters are going to want to have shelter just as much as you're going to want to have shelter. And so snakes and raccoons, insects, and other refugees from the storm can decide that your residence is oh, now their territory, right. and that's a big problem. Can you imagine you have, like, kitchen cabinets that have kind of gotten destroyed and your house is open, no. and you go to open your cabinets up and all kinds of things yes, come jump out at you. Out you or sit there staring at you raccoons don't have a lot of fear no we notice that when when we see them in gatlinburg they've actually come up to our second floor which is our our main floor truthfully but second from the bottom climbed up and come to our open family room door yep take a look inside and, and just say, stood hey, there looking got? at us like got anything for me Where i'm coming in <laughs> no fear whatsoever. And the sad thing is that there are human intruders also. Yeah, oh that boy. In, in the last hurricane here that we just went <sighs> through that indeed. What is wrong also with people? Think, they also think your home is their territory. Yeah, and well. And you better be prepared. It's not. For looters, that is a huge, huge concern. Now, uh, if you're driving through flooded areas, you have to realize it doesn't take much much water at all for a car to start slipping and sliding. Uh, most vehicles can be carried away by water just a couple of feet deep, as a matter of fact. And roads and bridges can easily be washed out, even if they're not overwhelmed or overflowing with water. If you wait too long to leave an area, remember that these are weaker points that could bottleneck you. You need to make sure that you plan before a flood occurs to see if there's a high road to safety. That's very important. Of course, many of the deaths that occur from floods occur as a result of downed power lines, and that is something you we see a lot of. Uh, killed some people just in the recent storm. Electrical current is very easily conducted 
through water. You don't have to touch the down power line itself to be electrocuted. Just step in the water nearby. There are lots of instances of electrocutions occurring as a result of rescuers jumping in the water to try to save the victims that have been shocked and wind up getting shocked themselves and electrocuted and wind up wind up dying. Now, about floodwaters, they are dirty. Water, water everywhere maybe, but it's, there's not a drop to drink if they're floodwaters. They're not clean. They're contaminated with debris. And water treatment plants may even have been compromised by the disaster, may have overflowed. So you got to have a reliable way to purify water in your go bag and a good supply of clean water stored away in your home. Uh, by the way, household bleach, 12 to 16 drops of household bleach will purify a gallon of water, uh, let's say a teaspoon for five gallons. But uh, a filter is also a good idea because there may be debris or particulate matter there, and you want to make sure you, you get rid of that. Uh, a mini Sawyer, uh, a Excellent Life Straw, both, both of those yep. are uh, filters that we carry in our store at store.doomandboom.net. You can find them there. Now, uh, also, if you're going to be home and you want you know prep supplies because you're going to be staying home, these um, water filter companies do have bigger ones. They have yes. family size. Right. So you could consider those. But the personal ones are great because they can go in your go bags. Right. They're extremely lightweight and don't take up much space. And water is number one. Food's, right. food's number two when you're leaving. But water is number one. If you see some of the stuff that I can hardly call water that they have oh, even the children murky. drinking out of oh, with yeah. these Life Straws and Mini Sawyers pretty mm -hmm. safely. It's pretty amazing. So that's something that's... that's oh, by the way, it's important um, if you use bleach to wait 30, 45 minutes for it to work. It's magic. It's got to kill all the bugs, and it takes may take a, a short time to do that. Now, if you use a water jug for that, shake up the water after you wait the 30 minutes and aerate it. It makes it taste a little better. Aha. Aha. Good takeaway. Good work. Now, remember your supplies should include things like non-perishable food, bottled water, heat and light sources, uh, batteries, tools, extra clothing, a medical kit, a good medical kit. I, I, I can recommend one or two. Uh, your cell phone and, of course, your weather radio. And, by the way, these uh, emergency departments are telling you to take 72 days worth of supplies. If you can take more than that, you're actually will be better. I don't think that we could have left, evacuated here, and come back within 72 hours, honestly. So a week supply is probably a better idea for everyone. Um, now, when you re-enter your home after a flood, there's going to be debris everywhere probably, and the floors might even be covered with mud. You're going to have a major slip and fall hazard. Be careful when you do that. And of course, you want to check for gas leaks before you start using candles or lanterns or stoves, anything that uses flame. Uh, so make sure that the, either the gas has been turned off or that all is well in the area Absolutely. with regards to uh, the gas pipes. Uh, you want to use generators and camping stoves and all that stuff, charcoal grills, but you want to use them outside. Inside, their fumes can be Deadly, absolutely. It, isn't deadly. it incredible that every time there's a disaster and someone uses a generator or a group of people have to use generators, invariably someone either dies or gets seriously sick? Right. They had a household of 34 people. I think 23 of them were children that they were running the generator 
either close to a window or in the garage, apparently with the door open, so that the fumes were going into the house anyway. So be careful. Absolutely. Get that thing away from your house. Now, some hints with generators. You're going to need gasoline. It's hard to store gasoline in your garage, especially in the heat. So you'll have to be getting some fuel pretty much just before the disaster comes. Uh, You may need some oil for your generator. Don't forget that. And they recommend that you run the generator completely outside, away from any open windows or doors, and that you put a canopy over it because it shouldn't be rained on. You can't use it in the rain. You can't use it in the house. It's not always good in the garage. If, it, if you've got a, an extension cord, think about it. Running from the generator into your house, that means your, your door is cracked. So be careful. Get it as far away from your house as possible, but cover it up with a canopy. And again, you can't use it when it's raining. Very, very good point. Now, if there are cans of food that might have gotten wet in the flood, their surfaces might be covered with mud or otherwise contaminated. So always wash the outside of food containers and utensils and personal items before you use them. And with regards to appliances or motors, you know, if they got wet, uh, you have to make sure they completely dry before you try to use them. You might actually have to take some apart to actually clean debris out of them or actually dry them completely before you use them. Now, the water that you're going to use to clean the cans and the utensils and maybe your your dishes and plates, uh, be careful what kind of water you're using because the water coming out of your tap still might also be contaminated. So you may want to wash the mud and dirt off with the water you have and then do a 10% bleach soak for a few minutes. Um, and that would be, you know, nine parts water and, and one part bleach. If you can do that bleach solution, um, that will help kill off whatever is on your plates and forks and knives. And again, you you want to try to rinse the the heavy bleach solution, which is the ten percent, with a lighter uh, potable water, which would be your teaspoon per gallon uh, solution, so that In you five, get yeah. the per major five gallons, right. right per okay teaspoon per five gallons. So. You want to use a heavier bleach solution to soak, to, to purify, and I wouldn't call it sterilize, to, to disinfect your surfaces that you're going to eat off of. But then you want to get that main bleach water off. So be, just be careful of that tap water and, and what you're rinsing with and what you're washing with. Because if that water is contaminated, you're just recontaminating all of your stuff. I also want to say, you know, be a good neighbor and check on your neighbors. You know, those that have kids, those old folks, my gosh, you had better check on these people both before, make sure they're okay, and afterwards. uh, There were eight people that died, eight older folks that that died in a nursing home. Oh, that is so awful. And apparently it was just due to lack of air conditioning. They died from, what, heat stroke? We don't know for sure. I'm not sure exactly... The cause of death, I'm not sure if they've said exactly what that is, and they may not release that information if the family doesn't want it released. But what happened was they, the people who were watching the older folks saw some of them getting sick. I guess they finally got to a point where they were like, okay, well, we, we have to call. Right. I don't know the whole story. I just know somebody called for help. And when help arrived, the paramedics and the EMS and whoever it was that showed up, started going room to room 
and began finding not only sick people, but deceased people. And it, it just ballooned, and they had a full-blown emergency, and all kinds of responders showed up to start helping these people. And they had to divide them up between three hospitals. Wow. There were 115 people in there originally, and I, I thought it was nine. Eight, was it nine? Eight or nine yeah. that passed away. Um, I think it might have been eight originally, and then one might have passed away after they were transferred. Well, so I'll that tell was you an that additional. If you're so sad. If you're very young or you're very old, not being in an air-conditioned environment, being in an area where there's a lot of heat is going to be tough it's on you. Tough. I can tell you, I'm I'm an old man, and I'm here We're, in a room without air conditioning. Not only do we not have South air conditioning, Florida, we don't have a doing fan. Doing a podcast, no fan this here. This is a padded room. Right, we and have I know an that audio sounds crazy, room. Yeah. It's because <laughs> we're, we're nuts. We're actually in an <laughs> audio padded small room. What is yes. this room like? Eight by eight or something. Yeah, it's about eight by eight, and it has our a table, and it has our computers and the microphones, and that's why you hear the show pretty well. Not, we actually have not too much echo. This, the echo, right? So we're in a padded room with no air, air conditioning, conditioning and no fan. Right. And the fact that we're <laughs> doing a podcast getting, right now means that we belong in a padded hot. room right now. I know it's getting hot in here, hon. Absolutely. Woof. Well, anyhow, so that's a story. Please check on your neighbors. Make sure that they're okay. It always takes a village to to thrive in the face of adversity. And so be a good neighbor and make sure that your people around you are doing okay. Hey, you know, of all the joints in your body, the shoulder has the greatest range of motion. I myself have torn ligaments in both shoulders, and I am... Certainly one of those folks that has had big issues, but what I'm going to talk about today is a particular injury to the shoulder caused mostly by trauma that is called a dislocation. And and it's amazing that our shoulder has such a range of motion, a better range of motion than any other joint in your body. And the flexibility that you get from your shoulder comes at the cost of stability of the joint the flexibility more flexible the joint is the less stable it is in response to trauma and 50 percent indeed of all major joint dislocations seen in the emergency rooms in in the u.s involve the shoulder joint so a dislocation by the way is an injury in which a bone is pulled out of its joint by trauma and dislocations commonly occur in places like the shoulders the elbows the knees um, ankles, hips, fingers is the most common one. If you played football, you may have dislocated your finger. Uh, the, these areas are common areas to be affected. The joint involved, when you see somebody has a um, a dislocated joint, it sort of takes you aback. You become paralyzed for a second because you're looking at something that your body, your mind is not really processing. It is visibly abnormal, unusable, and some the person that is suffering from the dislocation, is in significant pain, and there may be a bruising that occurs, you know, certainly more over time. Now, if the dislocation is a momentary one, I have had one of these, and the bone slips back into its joint on its own, it's called a subluxation. Now, subluxation is treated the same way the sprains are, using the Rice's method, that's rest, ice, compression, um, elevation, elevation, and stabilization. So these are things that you would do for a sprain. That's the same thing you do with the subluxation. You want to rest that area. The area is is injured and weak and needs to be 
needs to heal. Uh, by the way, it should be noted that there is a type of subluxation that's treated by chiropractors, and that is somewhat different from this type of subluxation that I'm talking about now. Now, first I want to give you a short anatomy lesson. Unlike the kid's song, there is no shoulder bone connected to the arm bone. And the shoulder actually <laughs> consists of three bones, the upper arm bone known as the humerus. I don't find that very humorous. No. <laughs> uh, the uh, shoulder blade or scapula, and the collarbone, which is also called the clavicle. Now, the head of the humerus, the upper arm bone, fits into a socket in the shoulder blade or the scapula, and this socket is called the glenoid cavity. It is stabilized by a bunch of ligaments, of which I've managed to mess up most of them. Uh, strong connective tissues that keep that the humerus together and centered in that socket. And these connective tissues, along with muscles and tendons, form a type of capsule that keeps the joint in its place stable and gives strength to the area. And of course, if the capsule weakens for any reason, it can cause the humerus, the upper arm bone, to be dislocated. And that's the most common one you'll see. The patient with a shoulder dislocation usually comes holding their forearm for support because they it hurts for them to let it hang. And so that is a big issue. They'll have complaints of pain. They'll have an arm that will appear obviously out of place, usually lower than the other arm. Uh, swelling is very common, especially the longer you wait the, uh, to deal with it, the more swelling there is. And, uh, of course, if there's medical care readily available, the per person who has a shoulder dislocation should go directly to the local hospital. Indeed, some dislocations can only be reduced under general anesthesia by actually making an incision, finding everything and putting it back together, sometimes putting pins in and doing all sorts of wires and all sorts of other stuff. Now, in an off-grid setting, if you're the medic, guess what? You're on your own. You're not going to have general anesthesia and you're not going to have the benefit of having an orthopedic surgeon around. So you're probably going to have to try to correct the dislocation yourself. And this is known as performing a reduction. Now, Reduction is easiest to perform soon after, as soon as possible after the dislocation before muscle spasm and all this inevitable swelling occurs. Not only does reducing the dislocation decrease the pain experienced by the victim, but it will lessen the damage to all the blood vessels and nerves that run along the line of the injury. The faster you reduce the deformity caused by the dislocation and put it back in its socket, the less likely there will be permanent damage. Unfortunately, a joint that's experienced a dislocation may, be, may have a tendency to go out of place again in the future becomes less stable because of the damage that occurred to ligaments and other, other, other supportive tissue. Now, if help is not forthcoming, you should expect some pretty significant pain on the part of the patient during the actual reduction procedure. Uh, you might give them some pain relievers. Uh, you might uh, give them something that might make them a little drunk that, so that they'll They'll feel the pain, but they won't remember it as much. Um, <laughs> give them a stick to chew on. I don't know. Do whatever you can. I know. Anything. But, poor, poor thing. But the bottom They're line suffering. Is, right. If you don't reduce the deformity caused by a dislocation, you're just not going to have normal function in that extremity. You need your people at 110% efficiency, and, and that is why you have to act. There are prescription muscle relaxers. Uh, cyclobenzaprine is called, uh, also known as Flexeril in the United States. That's very helpful as well. 
Now, the use of traction will also greatly aid your attempt to fix the problem. And traction is the act of pulling the dislocated bone away from the joint in such a fashion as to give room for it to slip back into place. And you can accomplish this goal in a, no a number of different ways, depending on the type of dislocation. Most of the time, the humerus, the arm bone, upper arm bone, will dislocate forward. And that's called an anterior dislocation. That occurs in 97, I think, or 95% of cases. And so let's talk a little bit about that. By the way, if you go to my article on shoulder dislocation on the website from uh, some time ago, you'll see a link to a set of videos that give you the show you the actual procedure. Telling you about how to do it is great, but seeing it done is, also, is I think, better. Now, method number one, you would have a patient lie down on a surface that's high enough so that the arm can dangle without hitting the ground. And that includes the shoulder joint has to dangle. And in that circumstance, you place the arm into position uh, slowly because uh, it hurts probably to get into that position and try to give them the least discomfort. And then what you'll do is you'll wrap a 15 to 20 pound uh, weight around the forearm and wrist, not having them hold it, but around the forearm and wrist wrist and I don't want the weight hitting the ground. It has to be dangling. Now although they could hold the weight in their hand, this may tense the muscles and you need them to relax. Now once the muscles are relaxed enough, interestingly enough, after about 10 minutes or so, the arm might just pop back into place on its own without doing anything else. That would be awesome. Now there's number another method, and there are actually probably about 10 methods. I'll talk about two or three of them. Um, Another method is to have the patient lie on their back and put their elbow at a 90-degree angle, and then what you do is you rotate the arm outward with the palm facing the sky, and that should be a slow movement, and if there's a lot of pain, then there should be a sign, a sign to slow down. Now, raise the arm. after the, Once you get it so the palm's facing the ceiling, raise the arm so that the hand is behind the head as if they were scratching the back of their neck. Or let's say if you were if you've ever been a baseball pitcher, if you're about to throw the ball, you have got the ball pretty much behind your head as you are about to sling it forward. Now, once the, your patient's hand is behind their head, slowly help them reach for the opposite shoulder. Try to go further, and by going further, it should move the arm back into its normal location. And boy, will that patient be happy after that. Right. You know, the, the relief they're gonna will be yelp. almost immediately. They're going to yelp when it happens. And, and then they're going to go, oh, thank goodness. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to be achy. But the ligaments and muscles and everything that's being pulled so tightly and all cramped up will feel a lot better. Absolutely. Now, if, uh, one other method, I'll, I'll mention one other, and then you can go to the article on the website and, and the video, see the videos. If you're alone with your patient, place your foot against the side of the patient's chest and apply slow traction while pulling the arm, holding the wrist with the palm facing upward. Now, this also has to be done. This sounds savage, really, but it should be done. You can do it slowly and gradually until the arm pops back into place. Now, of course, if you're fortunate enough to have an assistant... Or, or you can do one, two... Yeah, no. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Ouch. Well, you it hurts just but thinking you don't about it. But you don't count to three because they're yeah. expecting you to count right, to three. Right. You only count to two. That's what you have to do in the medical field. That's what we'll do with extracting it. You have to we'll just say one, two, 
and then you just pull it. <laughs> now, if you have an assistant, you can actually have an assistant wrap a towel or sheet around the upper chest of a patient and have them pull that instead of your digging your heels into the person's side. Exactly. Have and, some person yeah. hold, the, hold the patient in place. Right. And th- that assistant can actually pull in the opposite direction to p- provide counter-traction, and that avoids having to use your foot for that purpose. Sometimes people even use a crook of a tree. Uh, I think I have a picture of of, of that also in, yes, in the recent article. Yes, we went to a article. park to, to take a picture of that. Exactly right. Now, of course, if these procedures are successful, you should be immediately improved so that your victim should feel a lot better, although it's normal to have some continued discomfort in that area for quite a while. Uh, And remember that your patient benefits from the placement of anything to reduce swelling. Ice packs would be good. Uh, A sling to help immobilize the joint while it heals. And a full recovery takes a while. It takes about 4 to 12 weeks, depending on the age and physical condition of the patient. And you should be noted that uh, the dislocation itself or the procedure of reducing the dislocation could possibly disrupt blood vessels or nerves. They do run pretty close to the to the bones, so that could lead to circulation issues. So keep an eye on the uh, person's hand. Make sure that the tips of their fingers are pink, and uh, use the capillary refill time uh, test. That's when you press on the um, nail pad or the f- the finger pad or the nail bed, and it blanches when you apply pressure. When you release it, it goes back to normal. It's that, like a pinch. You right. Pinch the end of the finger. And that has to happen within two seconds. It has to go back to its normal color in two seconds for normal uh, circulation to be uh, proven. So that's something that's very important. Of course, if a nerve is injured, you may have uh, difficulty with just a motor function of the limb or sensation. You can use a pen uh, or a tip of a safety pin lightly uh, yes, beyond the light, level of the lightly. Yeah, lightly, yes, beyond the <laughs> Do level of the Do you feel this stab? Uh, yes. Do you feel this stab? <laughs> Let's not re-injure the patient. <laughs> and just make sure they can feel that. Right. So the truth of the matter is, is that you're going to have orthopedic injuries. They're going to be a, a very common occurrence for the medic. And any austere setting uh, after a disaster in the wilderness uh, on a mission to an underdeveloped country, the truth of the matter is the medic has to be ready to take the initiative whenever the ambulance is not on the way and uh, as if full use of the injured extremity is going to be recovered. Now, I think... I'm pretty sure that you actually demonstrate this during our eight-hour survival medicine class. Yes, and when are we having that? Uh, Well, we're having one. I've got just a handful of spots left for maybe four or five for October 21st uh, near Knoxville, north of Sevierville, off of 40 and 66. Um, Check that one out. If that's not good for you, um, Jacksonville, Florida, on December 3rd. That's going to follow a NPS Expo, which will be held on Friday and Saturday. That class on December 3rd is actually on a Sunday Okay. in Jacksonville. That would be interesting to see if people kind of said, wow, we need to start prepping well, that, a little yeah, more. You know, there are a lot of preppers up in Jacksonville. Folks yeah, don't realize that. It's a good group. So a lot of folks were already prepared for these things. The, the only thing you can't be prepared for is... 10 feet of water in your house. I yes. mean, the, the only thing you could do is just leave, you know, and hopefully because you are pre- prepared, you know your routes, where you're going, how you're getting there, and you have everything ready to go in advance. 
That's what a prepper will do for you. Absolutely. Well, you're going to be teaching things like dealing with hemorrhage. Yes. We're going to be teaching things like how to uh, recognize pneumonia on a stethoscope. You're actually going to learn how to differentiate different types of sounds well, uh, in people who have different types of respiratory infections, a very common thing that's going to be a problem in times of trouble. We'll talk about diarrheal disease, burns. We'll talk about dehydration. We'll talk... A lot of hands-on. I know this all sounds like theory there. I mean, we can't demonstrate diarrheal disease. I hope not. <laughs> However, <laughs> we can let you guys practice with all sorts of tourniquets on yourself, on a buddy, um, learn how to pack wounds. Yes. How to take care of wounds that are going to be dealt with outside of the hospital. Right. That maybe should have been in a hospital. What to do, what to look for. How to suture, how to staple. Yep. More importantly, when, when to do those exactly, things. Exactly. How to properly clean a wound and look for signs of infection. Right. How to identify infected wounds, how to deal with open wounds until they heal in from right. below that's called a that's a process called granulation granulation so there's going to be a lot of stuff around but teaching. in my case it would be graniation right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> not you well no I'm, I'm actually not a grandma yeah, yet no you're not well you are sadly gonna, you are going to be giving the kitties some things to take home that come to the class right well, everybody, not just kitties. Yeah. <laughs> all the students. Well, if you're calling yourself Granny, oh, they're all your kitties. Oh, no, I'm I'm not calling myself Granny yet. So you're I get... have not earned the title yet. Yeah. Well, on the way. Someday. Well, so. Someday. Well, anyhow, you'll be getting a blood pressure cuff, a stethoscope, uh, suture materials, suture kit, uh, instruments. Um, you'll be getting what else do they get? Israeli battle dressing to take home. A number, a number of different things as well. Did you say the blood pressure cuff? Kit? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I have customers trying to call. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we are at the end of our survival medicine hour. We have indeed survived another disaster. We could have lost two houses in the last year. Oh my one goodness! One from the fire in Gatlinburg, yes. and one from Hurricane Irma. We didn't lose either. Can you imagine? We, have been truly, we would have been homeless. Yes, we have been truly, truly oh. blessed. And we're blessed with so your scary. patronage, dear listeners. And Thank we you. hope you'll tune in next week for another Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alden, also oh. known as... Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Oh, you almost forgot, huh? Well, I, I wasn't sure where you were going there, and then I realized you taught you were going for the nicknames. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.